Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. This morning's message is a difficult one for me, for me, and it may be for you too, but I think that we need to deal with it. The um, title of the message is Beyond Race, so I think you know what it's about. It's about race. It's about racism. It's about discrimination. And it's about what people in our country are saying about it today. You know, what is discrimination? What is racial discrimination? Well, here's the definition of it. It's by a fellow by the name of Ibram Zolani Kendi. He goes by, his signature is X Kendi. He's professor of history and director at Boston University's Center for Anti-Racist Research. And this is what he says about discrimination. If discrimination is creating equity, it is anti-racist. Got that? Okay. If discrimination is creating inequity, then it is racist. You see, someone reproducing inequity through permanently assisting an overrepresented racial group into wealth and power is entirely different than the other situation. Someone challenging that inequity by temporarily assisting or un, an unrepresented, underrepresented racial group, lifting them into relative wealth and power until equity is re- reached. You see, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. According to Kendi, then, basically what he's saying, if you followed all of that, you want me to read it again? (laughs) If you followed it closely, and I had to read it several times, I think, to kind of unravel it, is basically reverse discrimination is justified. Reverse discrimination is justified if it achieves racial equity. In other words, there's such a, good, there's such a thing as good racial discrimination. Uh, Ibram Zolani Kendi was born Ibram Henry Rogers, uh, and he is one of the foremost advocates today of critical race theory. You've heard about it, I'm sure, in the news. It is a hot topic in America today. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Not just critical race theory, but how it is affecting America today. In our schools, we have a problem in addressing critical race theory. Essence Preparatory Charter School in San Antonio, the founder is Akeem Brown. And in January of 2022, he was seeking accreditation by the Texas Education Agency, TEA. It accredits all of the schools and colleges and universities here in the state of Texas. TEA told the school that they would have to take their website, that they would have to scrub off of it 
a quote by Kendi, who is a critical race theorist. The reason for, is this. The quote, in its estimation, violated a 2021 Texas law passed last year aimed against basically teaching what I'm going to call CRT, Christian uh, uh, critical race theory. In this law, it says that schools cannot award course credit for political activism. They cannot work for organizations focused on public policy advocacy that are politically related. In other words, schools cannot, if they're going to be accredited, take political sides. They cannot teach that slavery and racism are anything other than deviations from, betrayals of, or failures to live up to the authentic founding principles of the United States. There are folks all across the country that are very concerned about what critical race theory is doing in our schools. Nine states have similar laws, and there are 18 more that are about to pass them. That's over half the country. There are six proposed federal bills that contain similar limitations, and some of them are aimed at the higher educational level of the universities. So it begs the question, what is this thing called critical race theory, and why am I talking about it from the pulpit? Well, for the same reason that I talked about gender identity and homosexuality and immigration and abortion and other critical issues. When you hear this out there, how do we as Christians respond to it? You see, the background of CRT goes back to not a group of uh, minority people, Asian or African American or Hispanic. It goes back to a group of white scholars, the Frankfurt School of Social Theory in the 1920s. And they began to challenge the socioeconomic systems of the day, and many of them needed to be challenged. Uh, fascism and communism and also capitalism and it was based on critical rational methods they developed based on their understanding of 19th century philosophy Kant's idealism which focuses on pure reason that we can solve problems by reasoning them through purely but also Kant brings to the formula a kind of agnostic pesticism Hegel's dialectic you may remember Hegel taught the dialectic of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. But beyond that, he also had a view of history that is not biblical. His view of history is that it is circular, and we really can't anticipate the future. We, can't, we can learn from the past to change the present, but you see, history is not moving to an end point. It's not providentially guided. It is a circular process. And the dialectic was, of course, at the core of Marx's philosophy, and that also influenced the Frankfurt School. Where does the word critical come from in critical race theory? It comes from this school. A critical philosophy, according to Marx, is that which challenges ideologies behind conventional structures in society. And we know what he said, that there's a historical class struggle between the dominant and society and the oppressed classes. There are oppressed and there are oppressors who oppress them. Oppressors derive their authority from artificial hierarchical structures that are not real. You see, those oppressive structures in society, Marx said, are artificially structured, and they must be eliminated. 
And of course, he aimed at then ultimately redistributing power and wealth. And we know that Marx's orientation was strictly materialistic, atheistic. So you put all of this together in the Frankfurt School, and you've got, a, you've got one that is highly rationalistic, has no view toward providential guidance of history toward an end, and it is basically materialistic, aimed at destructuring all of the structures we have in society. And the goal of all of this, according to the critical theory, is to emancipate those people who are oppressed by society. That's the critical method. It's highly subjective. It's based on secular philosophy and not on the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some of those problems out there and that the Bible doesn't address them. But these come from a secular perspective. Of course, all of these ideas have been influenced lately by postmodernism then that says, of course, as we've said many times, there's no absolute truth that all of the things that we think today and the structures that we have today are socially constructed and they need to be deconstructed to relieve oppression, to maximize individual human freedom. And this is behind critical race theory. It's an intellectual and social movement with a loosely organized legal framework, legal analysis, rooted in critical methodology of 19th century philosophy, not the Bible. It begins with these assumptions that race is not a natural biological feature. Race is not a natural biological feature of physically distinct groups of people. Race is something that's socially constructed. And race is socially invented as a category by those in power to exploit people of color. You see, this critical race theory derives from not the 1920s or 30s, but about the 70s or 80s. It's only about 60, 50 or 60 years old. After the civil rights legislation of the 50s, some lawyers in America became concerned that the Supreme Court and laws in this land were beginning to erode the civil rights legislation, especially because of the influence of conservative legal scholars that challenged them. That, in fact, we were returning to segregation because people were opposed to affirmative action and things like busing. Some of the early leaders, like Harvard Law Professor Derek Bell, a former attorney who helped to litigate over 300 cases desegregating schools in Mississippi, became disillusioned. Bell said that racial equality in this nation is impossible. Racial equality and unity is an illusion. You see, racism is a permanent part of American culture. And the critical race theory movement began in the 1980s after he left Harvard in protest because of its hiring policies, and students began to demonstrate at Harvard. One of those students then went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and she, along with other students then, began to hold workshops in the 1980s. And the term critical race theory was coined. Her name is Kimberly Crenshaw, and she invented the term and the idea that we'll talk about in a moment called intersectionality. So this movement began about 40 to 50 years ago. What are the principles of critical race theory? First of all, race 
is an artificial social construct with no biological basis and the idea of race is used by those in power to oppress minorities. Secondly, American racism. You see, America's original sin is racism, going all the way back to 1619, and that's the basis for the New York Times 1619 project. You see, America has been exploiting minorities from the very beginning, and it is a normalized and permanent feature of American life. Racial equality is impossible. It is illusory. You see, even though we think that we have improved over the past few years, these alleged improvements really don't serve the minorities. They are only passed in order to serve the dominant white groups that are in control. You know, I'm uncomfortable using that term, white, but it runs through critical race theory. There's also institutional racism. You see, this is racism that, that occurs from a complex, changing, and subtle social environment. It's not necessarily that you are a racist or I am a racist in everything that we do. It's not about individual racism. It's about the structure of things, what philosophers would call structural determinism. You see, laws and policies and corporate practices and structural racism favor the majority and promote white supremacy. It results in limited access, lack of opportunity and reality for minorities, to goods and services, to education, to employment, housing, medical facilities, clean environment, and that sort of thing. It leads to a governmental kind of laissez-faire racism where the government then becomes lazy and does not intervene to help people of color. As I was transferring my notes to my iPad this morning, I turned the computer on. A good example of this, you know, institutional racism is about the oppressed being oppressed by the oppressor, and it promotes this idea of victimhood. You see, the oppressed are the victims. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are going to receive a prestigious Human Rights Award in December, on December the 6th. The Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Ripple of Hope Award is going to be awarded to them. For what reason? For standing up against structural racism in the British royal family. You see, they're receiving this award, Carrie Kennedy, a granddaughter of Robert F. Kennedy. They're receiving this award for their moral courage in speaking out knowing all along that they would be ostracized, that they would lose their family and their position and be blamed for it. Well, folks, that's a pretty pointed example, I think, of victimhood. Another principle of critical race theory is whiteness. And that is, in this country, there's white racism. All persons, every white person is a racist. Inherently, they're born that way and they can't change. And the majority of our system is, is white racist. What happens is those are, that are white commit microaggressions against people of color every day without knowing about it. It leads to a white supremacy, a system that promotes white superiority through power and wealth and white privilege, a socioeconomic system that tips the balance in favor of whites against people of color. This idea of whiteness runs through critical race theory. 
It also says that the legal system that we have is biased and inadequate. Bell came up with this idea of interest convergence. He said, you know, it looks good that these laws are passed for civil rights, but the, the fact of the matter is no, no, none of those laws would have been passed if they did not serve the interest of the white majority. For example, in the 1950s, when America was struggling to, to make connections with non-white countries, especially in Africa, and to build a kind of power block against communist aggression, and then they saw that we were being accused of racism in America, we had to do something about it. And so we began to change our laws in order to deflate the accusations by the Russians against us. You see, interest convergence. You see, our supposed uh, changes for the good and our law system are a legal fiction and they're duplicitous. Most of these laws, in fact, don't transform society. They just cover up the cracks. And in fact, the Supreme Court has rendered many decisions that have reversed much of the civil rights legislation. And the idea in the minds of CRT, it's too little, too late. American racism is over 400 years old. It goes back to 1619. And a few laws that have been passed over the last 50 or 60 years is not going to change it. Racism is permanently embedded in our society, and it's going to take many, many generations to get rid of it if possible. Another principle is non-essentialism, and that is no person has a single identity. No person is simply a man or a woman. No person is simply black or white. No person is a simple, essential identity. We have overlapping identities and loyalties, and it is wrong to define a person in terms of one category. You're an American, or you're a male, or you're black, or you're white. There's no such thing as a, quote, black person, or there's no such thing as a Hispanic. It's far more complicated than that. And it leads to the idea that... Uh, uh, Crenshaw came up with called intersectionality and this is important because what it says in all of those complex identities we have gender and race and class and religion and beliefs and so we can be oppressed in any one of those categories and so just because a person is one ethnicity does not necessarily mean that they're not they're not oppressed they may be oppressed because of their gender you can see where this is going racial Inequity is only one form of social injustice. And what it leads to is identity politics. Groups then that advocate against sexism, classism, elitism, cisgenderism, ageism, ableism. I mentioned those a couple of weeks ago. And in fact, there is discrimination in all those categories. But what it begins to do is to pit those groups against each other for opportunity and privilege. There's also the idea of standpoint theory and storytelling. It's not enough to have laws that are on the books. Those laws need to take into consideration the stories that are told by those that are oppressed to bring collective wisdom and a unique voice to the discussion of oppression. Storytelling has a legal value beyond the simple facts on the law books. And those that are racially discriminated against are the ones that are authorized to speak their story. In other words, if you have not walked in the steps of a person that is discriminated against, you must be quiet 
because you cannot quite understand. It is the person who has experienced who has the authentic voice. CRT opposes classic American liberalism. I'm not talking about liberal politically. I'm talking about the liberal ideas of equality and freedom and individualism. They say that these are lofty ideals, but when they're embedded in the system, they always find a way to be racist. And, in fact, CRT advocates really resent, quote, liberals in the modern sense, speaking out very loudly on their behalf because they usually think that the liberals are, in fact, gaining an advantage by doing so. Last couple of things. CRT opposes meritocracy, and that is the idea that we have that there should be merit standards for hiring and educational admission, and they should be race neutral. There's no such thing as being race neutral, they would say. And these standards of merit, in fact, are biased against people of color. And this is the most curious, I think, of the characteristics. They say it is wrong to be colorblind. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised with the idea that I was to be colorblind. When I saw a person of another color, I did not see a person of another color. I saw another person. But they say that this is wrong. It assumes that, we, that, that our laws are already neutral. It assumes that we have a level playing field already. It assumes that we live in a post-race society where race no longer matters. It assumes that the government then will not give any advantage where it's necessary in terms of affirmative action anymore. It assumes that prosperity is based on merit and hard work when people of color sometimes do not have that same opportunity for merit and hard work. So it is wrong to be colorblind in critical race theory. You see what it does, it doesn't take into account the hardships that people of color undergo on an everyday basis. And you put all this together, this is why there is some concern in our schools today. Because the educational goal of critical race theorists is to free the oppressed and the marginalized by destructuring and dismantling those ideologies of our society, those things that cause oppression, institutional abuse. So let me give a critique of this and let me give a biblical response. I think that there's some things about critical race theory that are unbiblical. I do believe we have a problem with race in this nation still. I do believe that we have problems with discrimination. But I think that this approach to it is not biblical. First of all, it's based on worldly models, and we've already talked about that. Kant and Hegel and Marx are not our answer. Dialectic materialism is not our answer. Agnostic skepticism is not our answer. The anti-authority approach of Marx is not our answer to destructure our organizations and institutions. Postmodernity is not the answer. Subjective individualism and only individual freedom of the oppressed is not the answer. Those are not biblical answers. I think, secondly, it has a non-biblical view of humanity. The biblical view of humanity is, I think, quite simple. There is, in fact, and I would agree with CRT, there is one race, 
There is one race. When God created humans, men and women, he created one race. And we're all created equal in the image of God. God values diversity. He certainly does. Different people groups, he values those. But there's one race, and he's not a respecter of persons. But if you look at CRT, what it does, it, it, it says that it, it does not believe there's such a thing as race in terms of division. But when you look at the language, they emphasize diversity to such a degree and they separate communities in such a degree. They speak of white and black and other colors. They treat humanity as distinct human races. They compartmentalize according to color, according to class, according to gender. And they have a pessimistic view about the unity of the human race. It is illusory. There will never be unity. There will never be harmony. You see, CRT and its view of whiteness, there is an example. In fact, it's a racist view. Whiteness is oppression. Any other skin tone is oppressed by whiteness. This contradicts their concept of non-essentialism. What is that? You should never reduce a person down to one category. But this is exactly what they do when they talk about white oppression. If a person is white, you are an oppressor. That's a pretty essential concept, to be white as a racist. That is not biblical. There is no such thing in the Bible that addresses that. They have a non-biblical view of human nature and guilt. The biblical view of guilt was read this morning from Romans all persons are what? Sinners, fallen and separated from God. Nobody is good. No, not one. The human heart is deceitful. Every person is guilty. And I think, folks, in fact, every person on the face of this globe at one time or another has had some kind of racist discrimination in their heart, sometime, someplace, somewhere. Every person is guilty, yes. But the CRT view is this. Human nature is essentially good or bad, and it is good if you're anti-racist. It's bad if you're racist. One is guilty by association with the, quote, race if they are white, and they're not guilty if they're not white. America's original sin is racism. This is not a biblical concept. They have a non-biblical view of the human condition. The biblical view of the human condition is what? Humans live in a fallen world, enslaved by sin, destined to death. Spiritual powers oppress humanity and hold humans captive and seek their destruction. This is a spiritual battle. There are indeed two classes of people. It's not the oppressed and the oppressor. It's those who voluntarily, voluntarily submit to Satan and the spiritual powers that oppress them and those who follow Christ and are reconciled to God and are freed from oppression. But the CRT view would have us believe that there are two classes and they're materialistic and they are the oppressed and the oppressor. They have a non-biblical view of the solution. The biblical view of the solution to this problem of oppression is what? Redemption. And redemption is personal. It comes, as we heard from Romans this morning, through Jesus Christ and his justification. It results in spiritual salvation by God's grace, which is not accomplished by works. It, and then it follows God's mandate to do what? To work for racial reconciliation as a result. 
But you see, CRT flips it around. Redemption is not individual. Salvation is not individual. Redemption is corporate, and it comes through social transformation. And it's about tearing down systems to rebuild them through social activism and not the gospel. Repentance is cultural. One must repent of one's white bias and white supremacy and white privilege and proactively become an anti-racist and therefore an anti-racist discriminator. This, my friends, is nothing short of a gospel of works. We work out our salvation socially and culturally by trying to be better in the way we behave. It is non-biblical in the result. The biblical view is this. When one is redeemed by Jesus Christ and they have accepted him as Lord and Savior, Romans tells us there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No one can bring a charge against those that God has justified through Christ and has chosen. There is no guilt. Christ removes it. The CRT view would have it otherwise. You see, we're constantly guilty. We must be constantly then repenting of the guilt of our whiteness. And this causes negative influences in society. It divides culture into two races, people of color and white people. It promotes pessimism and victimization of the oppressed. And it produces hostility, anger amongst the minorities, and resentment and indignation amongst the majority. I would suggest to you a biblical view of race and how we must deal with the race issue. And it begins this way. Creation and beyond in Genesis 1 through 10 were created in the image of God as one united human race. And there were no ethnic divisions even after the flood. Humankind remained as one language and one race until Genesis 11. And then there was the second fall. We call it Babel. And because of the human pride, God scattered humanity into ethnic groups and languages. He divided the human race, but he didn't create other races. There was still one race, but different ethnicities. And through one man, through one race, all ethnicities flowed, and they were all controlled by God. Paul says this at Mars Hill. He says, and he made from one man every nation, that is ethnic group, of humankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. So there are ethnicities, but they are under God's providential guidance. And then God did what? Immediately after Genesis 11, he set about reunifying the human race. In Genesis 12, through Abram, God blessed Abram, and he said that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth, that is, all the tribes of the earth. And then in Galatians 3, we're told all ethnic groups who later believe in Christ are blessed with Abraham as believers. You see, through Abraham, God's intention was to bring us back together after Babel, not just as one race, but as one body. And God chose Israel to be a kingdom of priests in Exodus 19, to be his witnesses to all the goyim, to all of the nations, to all the ethnic groups. And the ultimate goal was to reunify the human race through Israel 
and Isaiah, we are told that God will eventually someday gather all ethnicities together, all the goyim, all the tongues together to declare the glory of God, and they will then reverse the effect of Babel, unifying all people at the holy mountain Jerusalem. And the purpose is so that he can make them his priests once again as a unified body. The fulfillment of that covenant That promise in the Old Testament we know is in Jesus Christ. The reconciliation of ethnicities and the solution to the race problem in America today is the unification of the circumcised and the uncircumcised that Paul talks about in Ephesians, the second chapter. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off have been brought near by the what? The blood of Christ. For he himself, not a theory, not a philosophy, not some teaching of men, but he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, the anger, the divisiveness, which is the law of the commandments. You see what's happening here. Through Christ, then, we can be unified. Through Christ, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. Through Christ, we can look at one another and we do not see color. We see what God created in his image. God does not discriminate based on ethnicity or race. God does not see whiteness or blackness. God loves every human. And there's some preachers that say, oh, no, God loves, you know, certain people this way, and God doesn't love other people that way. I disagree with that. God loves all humans. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should be saved and, not, and have, have eternal life. Even when we're unsaved sinners, God loves us. He loves unsaved sinners and saved sinners alike because he demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wants every person on the face of this globe to be saved, to be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. And he is not a respecter of persons. That's what Paul told Cornelius. I most certainly understand, he said, now that God is not one who shows partiality, But in every nation, every ethnos, every ethnicity, every people group, every language group, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. In Christ, there is no longer a differentiation of ethnicity. In Christ this morning, regardless of what color you are, regardless of what background you are, regardless of what country you come from, there is no distinction. Paul tells us in Galatians, the third chapter, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free person. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant. The covenant has been fulfilled that was given to Abraham. If you're in Christ, you're one with other heirs according to the promise. You know, there's a similar passage in Colossians which talks about this in a different way. He calls us to be peacemakers and not dividers. Colossians, the third chapter then, speaking about no distinction, says this, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, sounds like Galatians, Circumcised or uncircumcised. Sounds like Galatians. There's no difference between barbarian, Scythian, slave, or freeman. But Christ is all and in all. 
But what we need to do when we look at that passage is look and see what preceded it. You see, that is based, if we're in Christ, it's based on this assumption that we have been made a new person, that we put away, that we reject the worldly ways. We reject the worldly philosophies. We reject all of the materialism. We reject all of the rationalism. We reject all of those human philosophies that would give us solutions that are not biblical. In fact, he says this, then, if we have been made new in Christ, we have put away our old ways. We have put away anger. We have put away wrath. We have put away malice. We have put away slander. We put away abusive speech from our mouth. We don't look at the other side in an accusatory way and use language that marginalizes them and calls them one race or another. We don't lie to one another since we have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The point is this, when we're in Christ, we don't seek division. We don't promote division. We're not about tearing down structures, we're about building up. We don't reject the authority of God over nations. He is the author of nations. We don't reject the authority that he has given those that make the laws and the government. We follow them obedient, obediently. I would say this in closing application. There are racist attitudes and discriminatory practices in America today. We, we all know it. It's an elephant in the room. They're still here. But folks, they're not nearly as bad as they were 100 years ago and 150 years ago. We must repent of them individually when we're guilty. Have you ever been guilty of racism? You know, we tend to say, oh, well, no. You know, when I see another person, I don't see a color. But I think I would challenge myself on this. Sometimes we don't know the biases that we have until what happens. I'll tell you when it happens, when you're discriminated against. You know what I'm talking about? And then when we're discriminated against, we react and we begin to develop a bias against the person that is discriminated against us. And probably each one of us at one time or another in our life has been in that situation. And if we're really honest about it, we probably have had some kind of racial or gender or whatever kind of discrimination in our heart. When we're guilty of that, we must repent of it. It's happened to me. If you want to talk to me about my instances of it, I'll talk to you about it privately. But I think we can all be guilty of it. You see, every society, not just America, has embedded in it racial bias and discrimination. Every society around this globe. This is the nature of fallen humanity. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every culture, every society is corrupted by that sin. And God calls us through the gospel to be peacemakers. Not out of a sense of corporate guilt for past sins of generations before us, our present sins of institutions. God calls us to be peacemakers, not by dividing our nation into oppressor and oppressed. God calls us to be peacemakers, not by promoting pessimism and victimization. God calls us to be peacemakers by preaching the gospel of hope, of Christ. God calls us to be peacemakers by ministering to the least of these when people are dispossessed and when they're oppressed. 
and to correct the problem. He calls us to be peacemakers by guarding against individual bias and discrimination. He calls us to be peacemakers by being aware that in our systems there is some racism and by opposing it wherever we see it. Yes, but, but not by deconstructing them. Let me close with a final statement. I believe the path for true reconciliation, racial reconciliation, gender reconciliation, class reconciliation, disability reconciliation, whatever you want to call it, comes through one path, and that is through the cross of Christ. You see, only his shed blood can eradicate the core problem. And the core problem is not philosophy. The core problem is sin. Only his shed blood can transform the human spirit. Only he can bring hope to the oppressed. And he may use us, but it's through his cross. And only his peace can transform our society. I'm not against everything that the advocates of critical race theory teach. What I think is unbiblical is the radical approach they use to arrive at an end that only the Bible offers a solution to through Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.